0: Yeah, I would invite you to turn to the Song of Solomon. We'll be continuing our sermon series in that book. In the, uh, we're at the end of it now, the last two verses. I told you last week that we might have our last Song of Solomon sermon today, but I also didn't make a promise. You remember I said that uh, it might end up being two more sermons, and well, that has happened. It's going to be at least two sermons. (laughs) Maybe I shouldn't say at least. I'm pretty sure it's going to be just today and next week. So the plan is that we'll cover verse 13 today and verse 14 next week. But I want to read both of these verses now and to sort of introduce them together and then we'll cover verse 13 today and verse 14 next week. We'll do further introduction as well next week, but just to get us underway to see the whole uh, overlay of where we're going. I mean, it's only two verses, but here is the word of God, Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 13 and 14, the last two verses of the Song of Solomon. This is the word of God. You who dwell in the gardens... The companions listen for your voice. Let me hear it. Make haste, my beloved, and be like a gazelle or a young stag on the mountains of spices. May the Lord add his blessing to the reading of his holy word. In these words, we have what might seem like a surprising conclusion to the Song of Solomon. You remember that in the first verse, it tells us that it is the song of songs. As we have seen, it is then the best song of all songs, the song of songs. It is about the love between the Lord Jesus Christ and the church. And it's presented to us, this love is presented to us in a beautiful allegory using uh, uh, betrothal, really, marriage, marriage. You might expect that a song like this would end with the Shulamite, the princess of peace, the bride, going off to moving into the palace of King Solomon, the prince of peace, to live happily ever after. But that's not the way it ends, is it? Um, By the way, I checked this out. Because I'd heard this before and I checked it out and it is true that fairy tales actually get that phrase, live happily ever after, from the glorious gospel because that is what will happen to those who die in the Lord. And back in the 16th century, this was used frequently to refer to believers going to heaven where they would live happily ever after. But the song of Solomon doesn't end that way, telling us that the bride is going to live happily ever after, that she's gone now into her husband's uh, palace. Instead, we find that the beloved and his bride are separated. Not separated like when you talk about somebody being separated because they had a quarrel, but for other reasons. We see the, there's great love between them with him wanting to hear her voice, as we just read, and with her yearning for him, you know, to come to me, make haste to come to me. We know that the words in verse 13, by the way, are his words to her, because the Hebrew indicates that the pronoun there to start off is is feminine. I marked uh, feminine words there with the F-S, feminine singular, is what that stands for, that you can see on your outline if you have that. He is the one who says to her, you, okay, a female you, you you feminine singular, you who dwell in the garden, the companions listen for your, feminine again, for your voice. Let me hear it. And then she responds to him with the words of verse 14, make haste, my beloved, which is, of course, the name that she calls him and be like a gazelle. Or a young stag on the mountains of spices. And we've seen her use that of him before. So what we have here is, interestingly enough, exactly the same situation that we are currently in as the people of God and the bride of Christ, betrothed to our husband. We're here and he is in heaven. As long as we're in this world, we, his chosen bride, are betrothed to him. The wedding has not yet occurred. He has taken us as his betrothed wife. And what is he doing? He is preparing us to live in his house that we will be presented to him as a bride that he has brought up. You might say from our our betrothal. We have therefore not yet entered into his palace, the place that he is preparing for us that he mentioned in John 14. We have not yet entered there to live happily ever after. In John 14, he explained that we will be in heaven with the father. I'm, I'm sorry, that he will be that he will be in heaven with the father until he comes for us at the last day until then he will be with us spiritually and he will come to us at times to manifest his love to us but our communion with him will be by prayer and by the ordinances of his church blessed by the holy spirit he will speak to us that way and we will speak to him with prayer understand that in the bible A betrothed woman is considered married. I mentioned this to you last week because a covenant of marriage has been made with vows. okay, the betrothal covenant. But the consummation does not happen until the wedding when she makes vows of marriage. And so that's the second step for Jesus bride. That day will not be until he returns to marry us and to bring us into his house forever to live happily ever after. So the Bible ends as well the same way that the Song of Solomon ends. That's very interesting, isn't it? That this Song of Solomon contained in the Bible about midway through and then the whole Bible from the beginning to the end, it ends the same way as this song ends. Let's take a look at that. It ends with the betrothed bride asking him to come quickly to her. In Revelation 22 the last chapter in the Bible verse 16 getting down toward the end we have Jesus speaking to her saying I Jesus have sent my angel to testify to you he's talking to John who of course is an apostle he's part of the bride to you these things in the churches okay so he wants them known in all the to all the bride to all the churches all the gardens I am the root and offspring of David The bright and morning star, he says, to which verse 17 follows with the words and the spirit and who the bride say, come. She's ready to for the wedding. The spirit and the bride say, come and let him who hears say, come and let him who thirst come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. And then if you go down to verse 20 and 21. We have the final words of the Bible, with the exception of the closing benediction, which include, first, the promise of Jesus. How does he respond to her? He says, surely I am coming quickly. So she said, come quickly. And he says, surely I am coming quickly, followed by the response of the bride, spoken by John as our representative. Amen. Even so, come, Lord Jesus. That's how the Bible ends the same way that the Song of Solomon ends. We'll be looking at that more next week when we get to the verse 14. But this week, as we look at his words to her in verse 13, I want to be sure that you understand that he speaks to us here as his betrothed bride who is eagerly preparing to be wed to him whenever he comes. As we've seen, his chosen bride is one bride who is made up of many members. They are all sinners who have their origin in the wilderness of sin and death. But they lean on Jesus. They trust in him to bring them out of the wilderness. If you would like to be saved from sin and hell and be given eternal life in God's house, then you must lean on Jesus to save you. You must trust in him. Trust in him to bring you out of the wilderness of sin and death. And he will do it. He is the son of God. And he is able to do it. He came to do it. He came here to save us from our sins. And he went to the cross to secure our forgiveness. And he gives us his spirit to transform us so that we love him and so that we grow in holiness. I'm going to have a little bit more to say about that as we go on today. But today, from verse 13, we'll look at three things that are true of you if and only if. You are a member of his chosen bride, one who is leaning on him for salvation. First thing is that you dwell in the gardens of Jesus. That's the first thing that's true of you if you are leaning on him. Second, that you have companions in the gardens who are eager to hear your voice. And third, that Jesus, your betrothed husband, Ask to hear you. He wants to hear your voice. Let's begin then with the first of these three things that's true of you. Number one, you dwell in the gardens of Jesus. He addresses you as you who dwell in the gardens. These are his words to you as his betrothed wife. As I said before, we know that because of the feminine singular pronoun you that tells us he's speaking to her the phrase could be translated like this o inhabitress of the garden you know female inhabitant inhabitress of the garden notice that we are said to dwell there dwell is a word that is fundamentally the word sit to sit it's often used of where one lives Like, where do you sit? Where do you dwell? Where do you live? You know, someone says, oh, I live in Galilee. I sit in Galilee. That's where I am. It's used in this word is used in Psalm one to talk about that the blessed man does not sit in the seat of the scornful. And it's used in the Psalm two to refer to God who sees his enemies conspiring against him and sits in the heavens and laughs. To dwell in the gardens, then, as it says here, is to be set in the garden. Or to use garden terminology, it is to be planted in the garden. And you know, the Bible talks about us being planted. So, you know, you're like a cabbage or something. You're, you're planted in the garden to grow up, but really not like a cabbage, is it? What have we seen in the Song of Solomon We have seen that we're like very fragrant and beautiful flowers, that we're like precious herbs and spices that bring an aroma that is delightful to our Lord. We bring forth fruit that he delights in. So that's what we are as his bride. It is a tremendous privilege to be his garden. He brought you up from the barren wilderness where nothing grows, where there's no life. You were ruined. You were undone because of your sin. You were entirely unworthy. You were cut off. But now, now you are betrothed to the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and you are bringing forth fruit because of that relationship with Him. You were unworthy, yet He redeemed you. He rescued you from bondage to sin. I mean, you were you were a slave to sin. You couldn't you couldn't free yourself. You were blind. You were you were deaf. You were completely unable to to come away. And you were in bondage to Satan. He held you captive. And your mighty husband who betrothed you, he came as a mighty warrior and crushes Satan and sets you free. You couldn't have set yourself free. And from death, he rescues us even from death, which was passed upon us because of our sin. And even the curse, he came and himself bore the curse so that we could be delivered. So you're unworthy, yet he redeemed you. He also, what else did he do? He called you. And you came. He called you with a powerful call and he made a covenant with you so that you are now his betrothed wife forever by his grace. And what did he do? He planted you. He established you as his garden in a place where you would bear fruit as his betrothed wife, sealing you with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit who sanctifies us and works in us so that we who are barren and unfruitful now bring forth fruit that pleases him. What else does he do? He protects you. You are his garden. He tends to you, fertilizing, watering and all these things so that you grow. He speaks words of kindness to you and love to you, assuring you of his acceptance. He rejoices over you. And he delights in you as you grow. That is where he brought you. From the wilderness to his garden. What a transformation this is. You rely now completely on him. That is faith. Leaning on him. Who is this? Who is this with him? Coming up from the wilderness leaning on her beloved to go from there, the wilderness, to his house in glory. Make sure that you're leaning upon him, because as I said earlier, if not, you have no part in all this. You're not, you're not truly his bride. This garden is his church, where presently he is preparing us for marriage. We are like Esther. Do you remember Esther in the Bible when she was brought to the king? She went for quite some time to have beauty preparations that were done before she was presented to the king. All the other women did too. As his betrothed, he is preparing us to live in his house. He is making you lovely and gracious, a beauty that only he can bring forth in you. This is what is happening to you, isn't it? Let, let's think about that. What is actually happening with this, with, during this betrothal? Well, you are growing in your knowledge of him. You're learning about who he is, about his excellence, about the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're learning about his wisdom and his power You're growing in your understanding of who he is, of his majesty, of his goodness, of his holiness and purity. You are learning also then to praise him and thank him, to declare his greatness. You know, you have to learn how to, if you're going into a palace with a great king, you have to learn how to address the king. I'm sure that's probably something that that Esther would have been taught, you know, the proper decorum and that sort of thing. You are growing to trust him. You're learning that you're safe to try that he is safe to trust, that he will fulfill his promise, that you can completely rely on him, that he will not disappoint anyone who leans on him. You are growing in your obedience to him, training for how you will live in his household as he teaches you to. To love one another as he has loved us. He sets the example for us, training us. And you think about the, again, with Solomon and the Queen of Sheba. You remember when she came and she said, how blessed are those of your household. Because she, why did she say that? Because she saw the beauty of the order and how Solomon had arranged things so beautifully. Everyone was living beautifully. It was all, you know, Choreographed, you could almost everything was in harmony. It was all, it was lovely. And he is training you in that way. You are growing in chastity, as we saw last week. In other words, in devotion to him, so that, like Ephraim, what do I have to do with idols anymore? I'm not interested in the idols of this world. I'm not interested in going and trusting in some prince or king in the world because I have my husband and I'm learning that that he is the one that I am he's the only one I'm devoted to I'm not trying to please all these others I'm seeking to please him alone because he is the king of kings and he is my husband when he's finished what will we be I've already said it we will be the bride that is without a bride without spot or blemish Now, here's the remarkable thing about that. Not without spot or blemish in our eyes, but without spot or blemish in his eyes. That's what we will be when he's done. This is one of the best things about heaven. Let it sink into you then. You are highly privileged. You are his garden. Be thankful. Who is this with him? How did you get to be there? It's all grace isn't coming up from the wilderness of sin and death and defilement with him, his, his bride. Who is that with the king of kings and the Lord of lords? Be eager to grow then. He's planted you bring forth the fruit during your betrothal that pleases him pursue that holiness be comforted in his steadfast unconditional love the love that was before the foundation of the world we were chosen in him before the foundation of the world never never wavers it's a rock solid steadfast faithful committed unconditional love no matter what we may have done or not done that is love is always there but also be delighted with his affectionate love, which we have learned about in the Song of Solomon, which is different than the steadfast, unconditional love. The affectionate love is conditional. It's conditioned upon keeping his commandments and growing in grace. It's conditional upon the beauty that he is producing in us, making us without spot and blemish. And as that happens, we become delightful to him. I like what one of the old writers I'm reading said that we become delightsome. We become delightsome in his eyes so that he looks at our beauty and he says, this is beautiful, this is good. That's what he's doing in us. So yeah, we have the unconditional love, but we also have the conditional love. And, and we could even be rejoiced in that because we trust in his work. the one who has taken us into his house and is working in us now that's where you are that's what he tells you in this verse you dwell in the you're the one who dwells in the garden that's the first thing that we see in our text now let's look at the second you have companions in the garden who are eager to hear your voice he says the companions listen for your voice Okay, who are these companions? Well, the word companion, we sang about it a couple of times in some of our songs. It was in uh, Psalm 122. It was in Psalm 45. There's several places where, where it is. And the word companion speaks of an associate. It's someone with whom we share things in common. Like sometimes people a of common, a common occupation were called companions. It speaks then, I believe, of the other members of the church Remember, the bride is complex. One bride made up of many members. And so it speaks of the other members. You see that we are all um, we're we're companions to one another. We're all part of this betrothed bride. So we're companions that are being brought to the king. She, this bride, is made up of all the elect, the ones there, there are within her the ones who are yet to be called. You know, we have uh, the the elect bride, some of them have not yet believed. They, they're alive in the world, but they have not yet repented and come to faith in Christ. But they will. We don't know who they are, but uh, he knows, and they will be brought in. There's others who are, like we saw last week, a couple weeks ago, little sisters. They're immature, and they're still growing and we're to help them to grow. And then there's other ones who are mature. They're the ones that help others, especially when I mean, we all help each other, but particularly it would flow in that way. So she's made up this bride with her companions, all these companions that are part of the betrothed. Now, like you, they have a characteristic. They have ears to hear What the Spirit says. Okay? That's a characteristic that all of the companions who are true, part of the true bride of Christ, have. That means that within them, within their persons, is a Spirit given desire to hear, to listen to the prophetic word that is in the church and the priestly voice that is in the church. The prophetic voice is. And the priestly voice, the prophetic voice is heard, proclaiming the truth. Okay, that's what prophecy is. It sets forth the truth of God to God's people. But who do, who does it? It's the church is speaks to herself, as we've seen in such. She edifies herself in love. She speaks the truth in love to herself, so that she grows. So who are the prophets? They were part of the bride herself, and they speak to the bride and bring God's word. So the prophetic voice is heard within the church. It tells of Christ in his glory, the prophetic voice. It tells us who he is. It sets forth God's promises and God's covenants. The prophetic voice proclaims the works of Christ what he has done as creator and as as, um, the redeemer and what he will do as judge and even now does as judge to a certain extent. It calls to repentance and faith in the gospel. When God's people went astray, how are his people different? He sent his prophets to them and they called them to repentance and, and brought them back to the Lord and told them to trust in the promises of God for forgiveness. It instructs us in godly living. The prophetic voice says, don't walk in that way, walk in this way. We receive the commandments from the great prophet Moses. And then those commandments are, 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 are explained and, and brought forward and applied as you go on in the, in the scripture. So it instructs us in that godly living we were talking about. The prophetic voice also sets before us the hope of glory, where we're going. What about the priestly voice? Well, the priestly voice is heard in the church praising our beloved husband, heard among the companions in the garden. It praises him for his glory and grace that we were just talking about the prophetic voice tells us about. It gives thanks to him, again, for what we've seen, the the works that he has done, the saving work and all the blessings that he gives us. It confesses sin to him. When it hears God's law and sees, then the priestly voice is the one that confesses sin. It makes vows to him, promising to follow him and to go in his way and to be his bride, to commit to him, to enter into covenant with him. It prays and makes intercession to him. That's what the priestly voice does. It is heard in the church, crying out to God. It comforts those who repent with the assurance of forgiveness. This is... these. These voices are heard among the companions. This eagerness, then, to hear the bride's voice is what distinguishes the elect bride from all others in the world. She has ears to hear what the Spirit says. As companions, then, we listen eagerly when one of us speaks of our beloved concerning him or to him. We, our ears perk up if we are the bride of Christ. Malachi 3.16 says that those who fear the Lord spoke to one another about him. That's the voice that is heard that we listen to as the bride. Others have little interest in speaking about our beloved. They're not preparing to live in his house. So why would they be interested in talking about the ways of his house or about him or about his saving work or the inheritance that we have in him or about his glory and goodness? They don't have any interest in that. They're not actually betrothed to him as we are. So that's why we have a difference with what we're interested in, what we listen to. Think of the joy that it gives to us to to hear that voice, these voices. We love to hear sermons that exalt him and to engage in the praises and prayers of the church when he is being exalted and praised. We're drawn. We want to be a part of that. We delight in gathering for the purpose of speaking about him and speaking to him. But also, whenever we are together in more informal settings whenever any one of us starts to speak of him or his ways our ears perk up a bit don't we don't they you know you're in with people and you hear someone starting to tell about what the lord did in their life and you you you, you want to listen like what 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 was that what are they saying there's there's listening ears at least that's what we do except when we're we're in the flesh if we're you know if we've we aren't working with the Lord and we're feeling guilty and we're all, you know, discouraged and not and despondent. Then we're like, why are they talking about that? You know, but uh, we still have these ears that are going to to be drawn to that, to hear. And it's going to change us if we are the true bride of Christ. Think of the joy that comes in hearing a new believer speaking of their conversion, how God worked in their heart, how he drew. them. We want to hear that. We want to hear the story, the new thing that the believer is learning, the new believer. You see one that talked about this with the immature believer, and you hear them talking about how they they learned something, you know, like about loving their neighbor or, or observing God's ordinances or something like that, and you listen, oh, this is good. They're telling you what they read in the Word and what they learned. Or hearing an old believer tell stories of God's faithfulness to him. And applying these things from uh, within the scriptures and showing how God has worked. Or the encouragement of having another believer come to speak to you when you're discouraged. That's another way that the voice is heard. And how glad you are when someone comes to encourage you when you've had a loss or, or some kind of a trouble in your life. Or even when they are kind enough to come and correct you when you need Repentance. At first, you might not like it, but then after you repent, you're glad. You had ears to hear what the Spirit said through that brother or sister. Perhaps they just pray with you, come to pray with you in a general way, or to tell you what they read in God's Word. Your ears perk up. You want to hear about that. Every believer has a fond place for hearing the uh, other members of the body Because that's how we came to our our beloved to start with, isn't it? How did you learn about him? You were around people that were, were part of the bride and you heard the voice. You heard them praising him, perhaps. You heard them telling of him and what he did, of his ways, his salvation. And you were drawn to that because the spirit was working in you and you were given ears to hear And that's how we continue to learn of him and to grow into a more beautiful bride. It's through the ministry of our companions in the church. As his bride, he gave his word to our prophets and our apostles. Okay, Peter, James and John and so on. Uh, He gave his word to them and they have put it in the Bible for us at his command. And now Jesus uses them you see to give he used them to give the scripture to us and now he uses us to take those scriptures and to declare them to each other and to minister to each other so your companions love to hear your voice if they are part of the true bride and you are part of the true bride let this encourage you then to speak to your companions of christ Let your speech be in praise of him for edification and for encouragement. Don't speak only of trivial things. They need to hear words of their beloved and of their walk with him. They may not always seem so eager. The flesh is strong and so is the pull of the world. They will change the subject, but bring it back. Ultimately, if they are elect, they will be glad for it. They will receive it and it will do them much good. In the end, they will thank you for it. You need this motivation that is given here, telling you that, that the bride is listening, that the, your companions in the, in the garden are listening. You need that to motivate you so that you will continue to speak as you ought to speak. It is an encouragement to preachers. To earnestly preach the gospel. Because the elect will hear. The true bride will hear. She's waiting to hear. She needs to hear. She wants to hear. And she will hear the voice that speaks to her of Jesus Christ and of his ways. But it is not just preachers that need this encouragement, either, is it? You all need it. What so often happens when you think about arranging to go and maybe meet with one of your companions in the Lord. You have the best intentions, but what often happens? Well, Satan comes and tries to discourage you. Oh, that, what, what, how are you going to help that? You, you've got nothing to say. It's not going to do any good. Why, why are you going to do that? It might even turn them away. You're like, yeah, yeah, I don't uh Or your flesh will discourage you. You know, I, oh, I was really wanting to watch that thing on Netflix. You know, I was going to call, uh, call so and so, but I, I, yeah, I'm kind of tired. You know, uh, what does the Bible say? Um, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, oh, I'm going to go and pray. Well, no, first I need to first I need to do this. Then, then maybe I'll pray later. No, that's we we need to we need to have this. uh, we, We need to have this encouragement to know that the bride wants to hear that she has ears to hear and that she needs to hear. The world will try to discourage you, too, that it's rude to speak about Christ. The world will rebuke you for it and they will call you even call you evil. You shouldn't be talking about that stuff. That's that's bad. That's not a good thing to say. Don't listen to them. Certainly, you don't want to be obnoxious. It's not that you may never speak of the good things of this life. In fact, that's part of speaking of the the glory of our God. Jesus gives us all things richly to enjoy. He himself feasted and enjoyed good food and and drank wine with uh, the meals that he went to. We're called to rejoice with the wife of our youth, to enjoy uh, sexual relations and things like that. That's all part of The glory that uh, of God. Proverbs commends having a um, having precious treasures uh, in your house, things that are beautiful, and you know jewelry and that kind of thing. These are all things that are commended. So we're not saying that you 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 have some kind of weird. Just talk about spiritual things, and that you don't because these other things are part of the beauty of what God has done for us too. But we need to be speaking of these things that are directly given to us about our Lord. Neither does this mean that you're to go on speaking to those who don't want to hear. The Bible says that you're not to cast your pearls before swine. And we see the example of Jesus and his apostles. They would shake the dust off their feet after a while. They didn't just keep on and on. When somebody didn't want to hear, and they made it clear they didn't want to hear. Then they went on their way. And uh, But what always, almost always happened was there were a group of people that came out with them and said, Will you tell us more about this? Who are those people? Remember what I said about the bride? Characteristic? She has ears to hear. She listens. There's the voice. There's the voice in the church. I want to go. I want to hear the bride's voice. The bride's voice stands out. Here they were in some synagogue with a bunch of unbelievers. And then the bride comes and starts speaking. And, oh, this is what I want. Off they go, you see. This is this is how God works by his spirit. So now let's look at the third thing that we see in our text. The first was that we dwell in Christ's gardens. The second that our companions listen to our voice. And the third is that Jesus your betrothed husband wants to hear your voice in the garden. He says, "Let me hear it." He has returned to the Father in glory. But he has assured us that he can hear us. Though he is not with us bodily, he is always with us spiritually. As a loving husband, he has made a way for communication to happen between him and us. To stay in touch with him, just like a husband would do if he was going away for a while. He'd make sure that there was some kind of an arrangement so that he could talk to his wife. He speaks to us as we've just seen by the prophetic and the priestly word that the voice that is heard in the church. We hear each other, especially we use the words of scripture, which he gave to the apostles and who are also part of his bride. That's how he speaks to us for now is through the through that way. And then he calls us to speak to him by prayer and praise. He has exhorted us that until he returns. We're to pray to the Father in His name, and He's promised that He and the Father will hear us. He actually hears every word that we speak because He is the Son of God, and He has the ability and capacity to hear and know every word that we speak. He says that every idle word, even, that we speak will be evaluated and judged by Him. He is a loving husband, and He desires to hear our voice when we speak as we ought He wants to hear words from us that are directed towards him. He wants us to declare, he wants to hear our words of love and affection for him, like what we see in the Psalms, right? The Psalms give us words of delight in our Lord and affection for him and praise of him, praise for the glory of his works. He wants us to He wants to hear that from us as his bride. Doesn't the husband want to hear that from his wife, that she would speak of him and the things that he has done and that she's thankful for? It's a way that she respects her husband. He wants us to thank him for all that he has done for us. He wants to hear our lamentations as well. Again, the Psalms give us guidance, don't they? Well, why would he want to hear that? Well, if we see that uh, a place, the place that we live, for example, has fallen under God's judgment or that our church has fallen under God's, then he wants us to lament about that because we, we care about it. What kind of bride would we be that said, oh, well, whatever, and we didn't care? He, he wants us to care about our companions who are, who are the bride that is his betrothed. He even wants to hear of our disappointments with him too. For example, like we see in the Song of Solomon when she couldn't find him. We sang a lot of psalms that are related to that, didn't we? Like, you know, Psalm 42 or something like that. We're crying out, Lord, where have you gone? That honors him, that we miss him, that we noticed that we weren't having communion with him, and we, we turn to him and we cry out to him. And it, it, it honors him. It would honor a husband for a wife to, to care about that, you know. I heard a fellow talking about this and he said that when a a wife does that, it's like her saying, "Um, you know, you've been working late every night. (laughs) And she comes like with a complaint and it's a good thing. And if he loves her, then he's going to be pleased with that. He wants to hear our confession of sin when we've done wrong to make it right and our cry to him for forgiveness. He wants us to look to him for help for ourselves and others. That honors him, too when we recognize that he is the kind of one that wants to help, and he's the kind of one that has wisdom to help, and he's the kind of one that will, uh, has the power to be able to do what needs to be done, that we, we lean on him for ourselves and others in the body. He wants us to cry out to him likewise when our enemies are surrounding us, to come and rescue us, make haste, O Lord, to deliver me. You know, we sing to him. He also delights to hear us speaking to one another about him. He hears that too. Uh, I quoted Malachi 3.16 before, but I only quoted part of it. In Malachi 3.16 and verse 17, I'll quote that too. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another. That's what we talked about with the companions. They listen and hear one another. They spoke to one another. But it goes on. And the Lord listened and heard them. So he hears us speaking to one another. So a book of remembrance. Look how glad he is about it. A book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. This is what he said. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels, And I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. So these were people that were living in a day like our day, where people were far away from God and they were rebelling against him. And those who feared the Lord, who were they? The ones that have ears, the true bride. What were they doing? They talked to one another about the Lord. That's what we do as God's people. We talk to one another about our beloved. And he hears. And he's very pleased. It brings great joy to him. Just again, as wouldn't a husband who heard his wife talking to her friends, and she said, oh, my husband is such a, a wonderful husband. He cares for me, and he did thus and thus. It would it, it would bring delight to his heart, wouldn't it, to, to hear her talking to her friends that way. But what if she says, oh, oh, that guy drives me crazy, and I don't want... You know, then she would be very, very displeased about that. I mean, he would be very displeased. He also loves to hear our words that build each other up. Okay, because, of course, he cares about all of the the whole bride, and he wants us to as well. Ephesians 4.29 says, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. Does it not motivate you to let Jesus hear your voices, his betrothed bride? When you hear how much he wants to hear it, when you learn that it pleases him to hear your voice as his bride, does that not motivate you then to talk about him like the people in Malachi they spoke they spoke of him to one another. consider well he loves you so much he's waiting to hear your praises sometimes they're they're too few and far between waiting to hear your confessions to confess your sin because you want to you want to be all that he wants. And it pains you when you're not hearing your prayers calling He's waiting. He also is waiting to hear you speak to each other about him, as I was just talking about to to tell others of him, to tell his bride. This is what we're to do while we eagerly wait for him to come to us. Yes, next week we'll see where we say to him, uh, make haste, come to me. This is how we keep up our communion with him until he does come. Publicly and privately by speaking of him to one another and to him with one another. Will he have the pleasure then? Will he have the pleasure of hearing your voice? See that he does. See that he does. Will your companions have the pleasure of hearing your voice as his betrothed bride? See that they do. You will say, but I don't have very much to say. Well, I'll give you some ideas you don't know what to say, then ask your brothers and sisters how you can pray for them. And then do that. You can start with that. You don't have to have some great wisdom that you can bring to them. If you don't have that wisdom, just say, hey, how can I pray for you? And then do it. And then follow up. See how they're doing. Or get together with them and read a portion of God's word. Read a book together that you can talk about. Memorize some scripture together with them. There's all kinds of different things that you can do in order to bring that to bring the voice that the bride will hear the voice, that the Lord will hear the voice that he so delights in the voice in the garden of his betrothed bride, speaking of his excellence and speaking to one another, praising him for all that he is. Please stand and let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, how we thank you for all that you have done for us as your betrothed bride. It is quite amazing to think about how you've brought us out of the wilderness of sin and death. And we just can't even, we we see, you know, movies and stuff where this happens, where there's someone that's down in the gutter or something, you know, in poverty and ruin. And then someone comes, some rich prince comes along and takes them and... Takes them into his palace or whatever, and Father, this is actually what you did. Um, it, it, all those stories are a reflection of what you actually did, and we praise you, O oh Lord. That and it wasn't just poverty, uh, um, financial material poverty, that you brought us out of. It was sin poverty. We were, we were ruined. We were defiled. We were corrupt. And you came to us with words of of grace and called us to come and be your bride. And how could it be that someone like this should be a bride to you? And yet you're glorified in bringing such as us out of the wilderness. We have much to say about what you have done. We have much encouragement to bring to each other. We have much to learn about how to live in your house, about who you are about how we may glorify you. And we pray, Lord, that we might speak to one another about these things, to speak about you and to speak to you together, one one with another. We thank you especially for the public ordinances that we have when this is done in a very focused and concentrated way and a formal way that you have appointed for us when we are assembled. But we pray, Lord, that it would spill over into our more informal times as well. And that we would be a people who are speaking in the garden, the words that are pleasing to you and to our companions. Lord, thank you for the way that you work and the way you have arranged things until you return. And we pray that we would benefit from this arrangement and that we would grow into the bride that you have called us to be, that we would be prepared for our wedding. We're getting ready for a wedding. We know that sometimes people will spend a year preparing for their wedding. Well, you've been preparing for this wedding for for many centuries, many millennia. And we praise you, Lord, that that you will complete your, this work and it will be such a glorious work. We pray that we would see more and more people being brought in and those who are in growing to become what you have called us to be. we Thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Receive now the blessing of the Lord our God. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.